Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. On this episode, I have the great pleasure of talking with Bhavna Smith, EVP Managing Director at Apex and founder of the amazing organization Until There Are Nine. Until There Are Nine is an educational network and resource group whose purpose is to give women the power to advocate for their rightful share of compensation, rewards, and professional development. We talk about what inspired her to start the organization, stories about the impact they've already made, and how she's working to shape the future that her daughter will live in. And hey, while I've got you, definitely consider subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. I have a lot of great guests lined up that, trust me, you won't want to miss. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, I'm so excited about this conversation for so many reasons, which will become evident very soon. Um, Bhavna, will you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Hi, Jeff. First of all, thank you for having me on. So I have a few different titles when I would like to describe myself as who I am. Um, First and foremost, I am a mom. I have an amazing 12-year-old, almost 13-year-old daughter. And for any listeners out there um, who can relate and and sympathize, they know, uh, preteen girls. So um, secondly, I'm also a dog mom. I have a, a beautiful little cockapoo called Ginger, who will be six years old. And I work in advertising. I'm, uh, you know, I've been in the advertising business for, oh boy, 25 years at this point, and recently have added a, you know, couple of new titles uh, to my name, you know, of uh, founder of Until There Are Nine, as well as fiance. So lots, lots of, uh, lots of roles. Sure do. And we got connected. I'm so, this is why I was so excited to chat with you, or one of the reasons, because we got uh, connected because you're going to be helping out with the upcoming 48 and 48 women's build event. And yes. I, for those that aren't aware, 48 and 48 is a um, nonprofit that puts on hackathons. Um, and, and we've put on well over 20 where we bring hundreds of volunteers together for a 48 hour period to build 48 nonprofit websites. And the women's build event is really exciting because it's all women volunteers. And uh, I think we have almost 500 signed up to virtually build these websites and you're going to be giving a talk at the event. Yes, I know. First of all, the event itself is amazing. And I wish I had known about it when I started my nonprofit, you know, back in December of, of getting a a website built up. But first of all, you know, kudos to you and everyone, you know, who is part of 48 and 48 for having the service and because it's, it's a lot of work that goes into it, but yes, I am excited. I will be giving a talk um, at the event on Saturday, April 10th. Um, And it will really be focused around how, you know, those same volunteers, when they go back to their day jobs, of how they can be better advocate for themselves at work. So when it comes specifically to, you know, negotiating their worth in the workforce, um, particularly around compensation and promotion. Mm, Yeah, it's such a great um, and needed topic. And that was part of the idea with that Women's Build event was to have leaders like yourself, um, you know, give inspiration and suggestions because you've had so much success. Um, actually, the until there are nine, which we'll talk about, is that dot com until you, until there yeah. are nine dot com. The, web, the website's beautiful. Thank so, you. 
you did a great I, job even without us. <laughs> thank you. I'd like to give a shout out to, uh, you know, Kurt Johnson, who was a, a web designer out in LA who actually volunteered his time to build that website. Mm, there you go. He, he should be a volunteer at our next event. That would be great. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into Until There Are Nine, um, I want to talk just a minute about your background. So you've been in advertising, you said, for 25 years, very much like myself, um, which is which is exciting um, to meet someone else who also then jumped into the nonprofit and, and do good space. But did you did you always want to be in advertising and marketing? Was there a creative element to you growing up? So um, I actually wanted to be a lawyer when I grew up, and um, my mom put that in my head because she said I argued really well and too much, which I have passed on to my daughter, by the way. <laughs> Um, and then some, at some point in high school, I think, you know, a friend of mine said, you know, I could really see you in advertising and then it clicked for me. And I don't know if it was, uh, anyone else remembers the show, who's the boss and Angela Bauer. And I was like, oh, that'd be so cool. She works in advertising and I want to be Angela Bauer. And I, although I didn't have a creative bone in my body, I knew that I wanted to be in advertising because it was just, you know, it just seemed like a fun and exciting field. And, you know, um, I kind of started to really pursue that from, you know, I think, high school onwards and I actually majored in marketing and advertising when I was in college. Mm. Uh, it's so funny because I watched uh, probably every episode of Who's the Boss and I did not remember that she was in marketing. Yeah, she was an advertising executive. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so you, you were you were ready to do this. Most people I talked to in the industry came from sort of a different angle or something, but this was what you, you set out to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it was, um, you know, sometimes there's like the pros and cons of having it all figured out before you get to college as to what you want to do versus discovering things, uh, which is really what the purpose of college should be, is discover what you love and find your passion. And I guess my my life was quite linear. You know, you go to school, you get, you know, you go to college, you get a degree, you get a job. So there's always that pressure of what are you going to be when you grow up, which I think we should take that off away from kids um, and let them figure it out rather than have it so set in stone when they're young. But I did. I did want to be in marketing. Um, I thought it seemed fun and I knew I wanted to be in business. Mm -hmm. So it's I just like knew that I, you know, my 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 dad worked in the city and he was a CPA and, um, you know, growing up just kind of would go to him, go with him to the office sometimes. And. I just thought it was fun, like being in the city and, you know, wearing suits and, you know, carrying briefcases. It sounds so dorky, but <laughs> it was, that was, that was the aspiration was to be in business and be CEO. And, uh, you know, and, and, and that was it. And advertising was the way for me to get there. And it was, it's just like a fun industry. I always say advertising makes the world go around. You know, you create the need and the want for things that you don't necessarily, you know, always, um, need. Mm. So, yep. but yeah, I, I wanted to, you know, went into advertising and I actually started as an intern at a media agency when I was in college and the, you know, I had two internships possible, um, that I was interviewing for one was in PR, which was unpaid. And then the other one was in media, which was paid. And I have been working since I was 14 years old. So there was no way that I could have that much time devoted and uh, for, for a career. And, but like the opportunity to make money, even, you know, it was at minimum wage at the time was, was like, okay, well, that was it. And that's mm -hmm. how I ended up in media was through that, you know, paid internship. Yeah. And, and internship should be paid. I think, I think we both agree. Yeah. I mean, 
girls got to make money. That's right. So, okay. So then I'm so curious. You, you have this great career. Sounds like things are going great. You've got a, a, a daughter who's keeping you in line. You've got, <laughs> you've got a six-year-old dog happening. Uh, what led you to start until there are nine? Sure. So a few years ago, um, I was interviewing for a role and I had never actually, you know, specifically stated or asked for what I wanted. You know, the conversation typically goes and I think, you know, the listeners can relate where you're interviewing for a job and they say, well, you know, what's your what's your current salary or what are you looking for? You know, tell me, you know, tell me what's your number. And I decided to take a very different approach based on, you know, uh, a mentor that I had. And, you know, she had suggested like, don't, don't say anything, just ask them, you know, what are they offering? And I just kind of really turned that conversation around. So rather than answering that question of here's what I want, um, and I would have added, and I think most people like, you know, 10% or, you know, $20,000 or something to your salary. And I just asked the question of, well, what are you offering for the role? And they gave me the range. And that range in and of itself was uh, over a 60% increase from what I was currently making. And I was just, I, I felt like I was just like, I couldn't contain my excitement. So, and then even then I had the, you know, kind of that, that critical point of when they gave me the range, why wouldn't I ask for the higher end of that range? And I asked someone else, like, how would you ask? And he said, I would just say, that's what I want. And I said, just simply, just, just like that, you would just give the higher end. And I felt like I was being selfish or greedy. Like, should I pick something in the middle? And I kind of really grappled with it. And it took me forever to write a two sentence email um, to this recruiter to say, this is what I would like. Although I recognize that compensation goes beyond just your salary and your base. So I'm open, but this is the base that I'm that I'm asking for. And I gave the highest end of that range. And lo and behold, they came back with the highest end of that range. And it was just amazing to me. And I couldn't believe it that by just really flipping that conversation around that my salary increased as significantly as it did. And a friend of mine, um, you know, a coworker and one of the founding members of Until There Are Nine, her name is Carly Feinstein. And she was saying to me like, oh, she was asking me like, so how did you like, how did you have that conversation? What did it, you know, how did it go? And I kind of gave her like the play by play. I told her, I'm like, and then, you know, he asked me this. And then I said this, and I wrote this email. She was like, oh, that's really good. Save that for me when it's my turn. Save that for me when it's my turn is really what was the impetus to starting this. At the time I said, oh, it'd be really cool if I just kind of like documented or created some like a Word document or a LinkedIn group chat with my female friends and colleagues where we could just kind of come to each other with phrases of how to ask for things. How do you do that negotiation? And because, you know, I did have a lot of friends, female friends come to me for advice about career and, you know, career pathing. And then we would get into negotiations and I was able to give really good advice. And, um, but I would always forget it, you know, uh, phrasing the ask. And it wasn't until I took my sabbatical last year that I was just kind of, you know, sitting down. I said, you know, if I don't do this now, 
I'm never going to. I mean, if I have all the time in the world. So then I just started, I reached out to Carly and a couple of other friends and colleagues. And I said, what do you guys think about starting this like network group of, of us where we kind of just really combine all of the experiences that we've had, the tips and the tricks and the verbatims that we've used for ourselves. And we can actually just kind of create this kind of playbook that we can use. And then I said, you know, but why just, why just limit it to the four or five women that we know? What if we were able to help women that we don't know that were just starting out in their careers and actually be able to share this knowledge? So, hey, I help you and you help someone else and then they help someone else. And through that, like one by one paying it forward, we can actually help each other, you know, um, be better at asking and negotiating. So I got really excited. It, this was like a Saturday night and I'm sitting on my couch and, and I was just, you know, just started writing and I started doing some research about the pay gap. And I came across this article that said, you know, women's reluctance to negotiate was an actual reason for the pay gap. There's like five or six reasons for the pay gap that women make 82 cents on the dollar, which is a number that we all know. But why? Like, what are those reasons? And reluctance to negotiate and discrimination actually make up 40% of that gap. And I said, well, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, that just made me angry. You know, and it was really that that just continued to fuel my fire of just continuing to write and continue to just write out the playbook and connect with more and more women and say, okay, now we need to do this. And, you know, um, another friend, a founding member, Tamara, said, you need a logo. You know, what's the name and what's the mission and vision statement? And it just kept going from there and there. But I know I rambled quite a bit, but that was really just kind of that entire story of how it started and why, you know, we need to exist today of, you know, reluctance to negotiate should not be a reason that we are uh, not paid our worth. Yeah. And then, and can you talk about the name and where it came from? Yes. Until there are nine. So, you know, I was um, grappling with my daughter and I would kind of just <clears throat> there an ideate about, um, you know, about what, you know, kind of name. And it was like, you know, should we call it now, like negotiating our worth and, oh, that would be, you know, cute and kitschy and all of those things. Um, and then I think it was around the time that um, uh, RBG passed away that, you know, the word nine and when there are nine really just um, came back to the forefront and, and resonated. And I just had the word nine. I was like, why not nine? And it was um, my friend Tamara who said, no, you need something that's more kind of it leads to something, you know, like uh, when there are nine or until there are nine, because you you keep working until there are nine. So her and another friend, Janet, both, you know, founding members actually, you know, love that name. And, it, and that's kind of stuck because nine means equity. And for those who don't know the famous, you know, response from RBG, she was often asked by reporters you know, how many women will be enough on the Supreme Court? And she said, when there are nine, because there's always been nine men and no one has ever questioned that. So we we keep working until there are nine, because to me, nine equals equity. 
if I can be so bold, it, it's one of those great names because what it did, it's, it's, it's succinct, it's memorable, but it also, I didn't remember that if I had ever heard her say that and it made me research it. And so, <laughs> it, yeah, like nine, I don't know if it would have done that, but I totally, you know, and so I just love that, that that's where it came from. What, um, I guess I'm curious, like you, you could have just said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you, Carly. I'll, I'll help the next time. You know, what, what really led you to say, I've got to do something more about this though. How could I not? Hmm. I mean, it was really just, it was just this like very strong feeling of why not? Why keep it just for us? Because why not just share it with as many people as possible? And, you know, it's, it's just kind of, I think that's the, um, you know, women have amazing qualities. And I think one of them is this intrinsic, you know, like this to help, to help other people. And that's why I love the idea of women helping women and putting together a playbook and sharing information and why not help as many people as possible? Because you can't actually achieve pay equity if you keep it within your circle of like five friends. Well, it occurs to me too, um, you can't, you can't achieve pay equity. You can make a dent, a huge dent as you are, um, by helping women feel empowered to negotiate and ask for what they're worth. Um, what about the responsibility of the company? And, and I'll, and I'll share that I have been guilty of this in the past without realizing it. Um, you know, you're interviewing many candidates and a couple of candidates happen to say, yeah, this is what I'll take for the role. And if you're not aware that this is a problem, it's very easy to say, oh, great. She's super talented and she only wants X. That's, you know, that fits. And it wasn't until several years back, but when I started to realize that and realize my, you know, culpability in that. So uh, maybe your organization is, is very focused, maybe as it should be on helping women feel empowered to negotiate and ask for what they're worth. But I'm curious, is there a component of it or what advice do you give to companies to try to help from that side of things? It's a great question. And I really appreciate you asking that because yes, women can only do so much. We can only make so much change. We shouldn't have to fight so hard <laughs> to get our worth. So there is uh, a responsibility for companies, um, but you know, companies are made up of people, right? And it was also when I was in a leadership position in a role where I actually had oversight of and responsibilities for giving people, you know, merit increases that I saw that there were some discrepancies and not just in women, but men, men and women who were really, really good at their jobs, who were underpaid. And I really felt it was my responsibility to correct that. And it was there at that point that I realized that, that you can actually make change from the inside, not just as the individual who is asking for the raise or the promotion, but as a person who is actually responsible for giving out raises and promotions. Women just don't ask. They, they have this, you know, there's a the whole thing of like this lack of entitlement or we're kind of happy with what we have. So women feel just content more. Uh, and I'm not saying all women, but so that is an issue and or or women feel like hey i somebody will recognize me you know i'm doing a great job if i just keep working hard i will get that raise i will get that promotion if you have good bosses and good leaders possibly yes but you are in charge of your career on the flip side you know 
HR, everyone from the CEO to the CFO to the you know uh, human resources and the hiring managers also have a responsibility. I think enterprise wide, what companies can do is make um, pay bands, very specific pay bands that are also transparent, and that there's criteria attached to them. That hey, if you are at this level, you are you know this is the this is the salary range that we that we provide. And you can have flexibility from, you know, standpoint of experience or, uh, you know, performance where you're giving people, you know, people who are better at their jobs, you know, should be paid more than the people who are complacent or, and, and, you know, there's obviously ways to address that, but absolutely. I think companies can do, you know, have that transparency and pay bans, pay and promotion kind of, um, and, and we shouldn't have to wait for the government to mandate these things. But at the individual level, if you are in HR, if you are in recruiting, if you are a hiring manager, you know, be very clear, like, you know, the cost savings to you is, you know, understandable because um, I think pay inequity costs uh, women somewhere between like seven, $800,000 to like $2 million over a lifetime. Think about that. That's that's savings for a company. But that actually, imagine if women actually had that money in their paychecks and they could afford healthcare and they could afford, you know, uh, you know, better education for their kids and for themselves, that that actually money goes back into the economy. So it's actually good for business, but businesses have to know that. Mm-hmm. Businesses have to recognize that achieving pay equity in their <clears throat> company is good for their own business because they actually become more profitable. Okay. So it, it is absolutely, I think, you know, um, has to be mutually beneficial, yeah. not just for the women themselves. It's also, um, I know that it's one thing to negotiate the right salary. Um, it's also just another thing to even apply for the job, right? I, th- I think yeah. there's a statistic I heard that like, I think women have to feel like they, they can check like 80 or 90% of the boxes for a particular role. And men, it's like, if it's 20 or 30 or 40, I mean, percent, um, isn't that also an issue? Huge issue. I mean, uh, I think that's also part of the discussion that we, we have with, with the women in our network who come to us for help. So if they're negotiating, uh, if they're interviewing for a new role, one of the things that we ask them is if this is if the pay band if if it's not just it's not just about the money but if if you're if you're accepting a you know less money or a lateral move are you sure this job isn't like are you have you grown out of this role and why aren't you applying for the next level up but absolutely i think uh you know women do feel like ah, i don't i haven't done all of these things whereas men just like, well, I've done a few of these. Um, so why not go for it? So it is also giving that encouragement. And I like to call our advisors, like you have your, uh, own wing woman, you know, to kind of like really help you and say, no, you can do this. Like, trust me, you got it. Just go for it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and give that confidence boost as well, you know, not to get politics involved here, but, and whatever side you're on of, of the political spectrum, but if you look at the 2016 election, you know, male with zero political experience versus, uh, you know, a female candidate with ton- years, decades of political experience didn't get the job. Mm-hmm. I would argue she had more experience than anyone that's ever run for that role. Yes. So, but, you know, again, that's the, but, but that's not, you know, she went for it and 
and he did too, mm-hmm. but he actually won <laughs> based on, because I think that's also, you know, goes to the discrimination problem that women face. So it's the reluctance to negotiate and discrimination that make up 40% of the pay gap where people's per- perceive that women aren't as qualified for the same role. And that's an issue that, you know, we as individuals can also correct in ourselves. We have our own biases that we have to put in check. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way that you're working on um, addressing this problem is through uh, mentorship and advisors, obviously thought leadership, but is, is that the core of it that you pair people up with somebody who can coach them? Yes, we have. Um, we have a, a ton of advisors who are, you know, professionals, highly experienced men and women in our network. They have agreed to, I mean, they all have day jobs. They have all agreed to be, you know, to volunteer their time. So as apprentices come in and apply and say, hey, I am up for a promotion. I want to make sure I'm not leaving money on the table. I am negotiating for a new job or I feel like I'm underpaid. All of them are matched to an advisor in our network based on, you know, whether it's geography or experience um, and, you know, and just, you know, kind of even sometimes personality. I'm like, oh, I think, you know, this person would be really well matched with this advisor. So it is, it's all one-on-one and there's a playbook that helps guide you that's on our website and, you know, where you can actually follow and it's how do you build a business case for yourself? But sometimes you need that one person to help you with that role-playing, you know, hey, before you have the conversation, let's pretend I'm the manager and and you're having this conversation. Let's go through that. What's the script? Um, And just kind of going through all of that. Uh, But it is a one-on-one network. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Um, what, What are your big plans? What are your big ideas for where this can go? Uh, I think there's so many possibilities here. I think beyond just helping, you know, women one-on-one and individually. And I think um, that's probably gives me the greatest satisfaction, you know, of like, you can actually help one person, like you can help someone directly and it's very tangible. And, uh, but I think beyond that, I think you would, you know, you had touched on it earlier is how do we get, um, you know, companies involved? I would love, you know, even as a result of this, for some companies to reach out and say, no, we, we're actually doing this really well. Please, please let me know. Find me on LinkedIn. Tell me what you're doing so we can put that as the model for what other companies can and should do. So I think there's absolutely, you know, um, kind of that corporate element of, you know, companies that have that kind of gold star um, of and 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 show the results, not just of the pay equity that they have or how many women leaders they have at the top and and throughout their ranks, but how that's actually helped their business and their and their um, and their customers. But I think going you know to that and having those alliances is going to be great. And then also speaking at uh, you know these large scale conferences. So how do we get this message out to as many women as possible? in, in one shot. So the 48 and 48, you know, um, you know, discussion is, is, is one way to get there. Awesome. Oh, no, I think there's also the political aspect, right. You know, of how do we make sure that we are voting for candidates until we don't need legislation, until we don't need to have government force companies to do the right thing. We do need to have the, you know, candidates who support, um, you know, family, you know, family leave and pay equity, all of, you know, um, legislation that just helps women advance uh, in their, in their career. Mm-hmm. 
So Love voting for the right candidates is mm-hmm. really uh, goes a long way. And you said something early in the earlier in the conversation about um, you know working with younger women in their careers. It does occur to me that you know you it took you 20 plus years to get to the point where you, maybe you had the right conversation in that room and imagine if you can reach women younger. Cause I, I would guess that you'll never not do that again. Right. Like yeah. you saw it work, you know, you negotiated for what you were worth and it worked. So reaching um, young early in their career professionals, but what about college students and just sort of preparing them? Are you thinking about universities? Can you pair up yeah. with? Yeah. Absolutely. So there are, um, there is an opportunity to speak to people before they, you know, before they get their, you know, first job. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the, the pay that you start out and there was actually a great study, um, posted on my, you know, LinkedIn, but studies have been done that show, you know, when men and women with the same qualifications, you know, apply for a job and men get that, you know, men negotiate and, and, and most women don't. And the pay gap is actually 7%. And that's exactly what the average percent, you know, what what the men have negotiated. And if you actually took the same, you know, the the same two people, uh, the woman who did not negotiate and the man who did, and basically gave them the same exact amount of uh, pay increases and promotions over their career lifetime, the men can retire eight years earlier than women. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it is hugely important for women coming out of college before they negotiate that first salary to get that right and to keep doing that throughout their career. I probably would have a lot more money in my 401k right now had I done that, you know, early on. I didn't even know it was an option. Mm -hmm. No one told me. No one said, did you negotiate that? I, it would have just, even that question, you know, would have, um, you know, kind of clicked something in me. So it is important to get that because it has significant impact to, it's not just 20 cents, it's millions of dollars over time and over your career. So you got to get it right the first time. Absolutely. Um, I imagine um, that the statistics are worse for women of color. Yes. Absolutely. Women of color, men of color. You know, I think, um, you know, when we talk about pay inequity and the pay gap, it is relative to white men. So on average, women make 82 cents on the dollar uh, compared to their white male counterparts. It is much worse for, um, I I believe, equal pay day just passed. So it was like March 24th or 25th, where that's how many, you know, we have to, we have to work on average 80 plus or more days longer into the following year to make that same dollar that, you know, our counterparts are, you know, make by the end of December. So, you know, men could have gone on vacation for three months and (laughs) it's fine because we're still, we're still making that what we should have earned in the, in the previous year. For women of color, um, it actually goes into July and August. So I believe, um, you know, it, it's, you know, for I think Hispanic women make 55 cents on the dollar and they have to work until August of this year to make what, um, you know, their male counterparts would have made in, in the year before. Mm. Does that day um, shift every year? Hopefully the, going backwards, I hope. 
Um, it does. And I think it has gotten better because I think if you recall, you know, instead of 82 cents on the dollar, it used to be 79 cents on the dollar or 77 cents. But the fact that it is still 82 cents and it has been stagnant for some time is, is not good. Um, I think women are, you know, also losing jobs at a, at a much faster rate than men, um, particularly because of, you know, COVID. And they tend to be in occupations that are more service oriented or lower paying to begin with. So, and I think that's why I love the 48 and 48. I think the fact that there are women in technology, you know, the occupation itself also matters. So the more women, that's why these STEM programs are so important. The more women we can push into fields of tech and engineering and science that are higher paying occupations, the better, you know, we will be when it comes to achieving pay equity. And then, you know, on top of that, negotiate your, your salary. I hope that um, part of your talk, um, certainly at the 48 and 48 event, is um, is to empower the women that are volunteering and that hear you speak to take something back to their, if they're not the CEO of their company, right? To, to take something back and say, hey, I heard this great talk. Maybe you should look into this um, so that it can affect both sides of the equation. Because um, I think you have a real opportunity there to open eyes of people. Again, if I rewind five or six years where I just wasn't seeing it, and potentially right. hearing one of my employees come and say, check this out. I, th I think that could also make a big difference. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people want to work at a company. And again, proven all facts, there's data behind it. People want to work at a company that where they feel they are valued and not just with a thank you, <laughs> you know, not just with, uh, you know, the ping pong table or the free snacks. They want to feel valued because they feel like they're getting paid their worth and they're getting paid uh, fairly. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm, I'm so impressed um, with how quickly you've stood this up um, and how passionate you are about it. Um, my my final question for you is, we both have 12-year-old girls. Uh, my, my oldest girl is 12. And how do I, to other parents of young women, um, how do I instill in her the confidence um, and, and the knowledge that this is something that she should do when she gets to this point in her life? I think the first thing you can do, well, the biggest thing that anyone can do is just be that role model, right? They have to, because kids, if you have kids, you know <laughs> that you can, uh, there's no such thing as like, you know, do as I say, not as I do, um, because kids watch and they learn from you and from your behavior. So she sees me doing this. Um, and I tell her I am doing this because I want her to be proud of me mm -hmm. and not just something that I feel good about, which I do absolutely. But, you know, when you have kids, you realize like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing with my life? And, you know, I just don't want to be in the corporate world and I want to get some contentment um, from what I do and do something good for her. But absolutely being that role model um, is, is really important because they have to watch and just always finding just little, little ways to tell them that, you know, you're proud of her or, um, you know, of, of what she's doing. And, you know, when she comes to me with a problem, I, I tell her, you know, first of all, that's normal. Like things like that will happen. It's okay. But at the same time, like, Hey, if, if someone's not treating you correctly, um, that's, you know, that's not, that's not okay. You know, make sure that you are being respect, you are being respectful and kind, but that you, you deserve the same back from your friends. I love it. 
Is she, is she going to be able to watch you give your talk virtually, I guess, uh, at 48 and 48? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I would like her to, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll, uh, we'll share links um, before I get to my sort of final four questions that I ask everybody. We'll share links to the organization. Um, I know there are ways you can, you know, sign up and, and contact and whatnot. Um, and so uh, we're going to encourage everybody to take a look at it, even, you know, if, if for nothing else to pass on to the leadership of your company. But I think there's a lot of um, women that can um, take advantage of this and, and maybe even sign up to be a mentor if that's where they are in their career. So we will share those links. Yeah. Okay. So you've had a, 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 a very successful career in advertising. Um, and now you're very quickly building this organization. What are the maybe skill sets or characteristics that you point to in your life that have allowed you to find success? Challenging the status quo, for sure. I mean, I live and die by some of this stuff at work, at home. Like, don't, you know, just hearing the words like we've always done it this way is is like just the worst thing that I can hear is just constantly look for something, um, a better, different way to do it. And not necessarily like faster, but just better. And always be learning. I, I can't tell you how, you know, I think that's just been the, um, how I've started my career and just, I love to learn something new um, at work. Um, or just in anything that I do, it's, you've got to keep that because if, if people are like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I, I love my job, but I'm not really sure. My first question is, are you learning? And they're like, yeah, I'm learning. I'm like, stick with it. If you're learning, cause I mean, you're getting paid to learn something <laughs> like how awesome is that? So as long as you're learning and I think, um, and then, and then the third I would say is teach. I was fortunate when I started as an intern to have uh, a lot of folks who taught me really well, like who taught me the job, you know, like they were really, they were patient, they were kind. And I think to teach somebody else and pay that forward is so important. Um, so, and I think that's really kind of why, you know, nine resonates for me is because it's teaching somebody else how to do something that I've learned, like why would I want to just hold on to that for myself. That's selfish. You know, why not share it? Love it. Love it. Um, are, are there any quotes, inspirational quotes that guide you? Um, I think, you know, the RBG quotes, you know, I think, you know, she has, uh, like all of them, all of her quotes are just so, you know, inspirational, but there's one, you know, certainly that resonates of, you know, when, when there are nine is probably, you know, I would have to say my favorite quote because it, it, it's, it, it encapsulates every single thing that I feel strongly about, you know, one is just that retort of like when there are nine, like, of course, you know, of just like, there's always been men, but the fact that she could even like have that boldness to state that back, you know, I love, and then she's got a few others about, you know, you know, change happens one step at a time and, and bringing people along to help you. So I I would say she's got probably my, my top three favorite. I love it. I love it. And I, and I just, when I, again, when I uh, learned about you through SEMA at 48, and then I looked up um, the organization and it just, it struck me for a moment because I thought, wouldn't the answer be, you know, five, five women on, on the Supreme Court? But no, of course, 
when there's nine, because there's always been nine guys. Like that's when I'll know things are, you know, more equal. Right. I love that. Um, okay. So what didn't I ask you that maybe I should have, or that you would like to share? I think you've asked me pretty much everything. I mean, you know, I've got my, um, my, my career and I feel like I can, um, really, I think the transition in my career itself has also been shifted from, you know, the, the more senior that I get, the more I want to actually help people be better at their job. So it's not just like, now I have more responsibility and now I have, um, all these things that I have to do, but it's actually now looking, you know, looking at the team and saying, you know, this is where we should be at this point in our careers is how do we actually make the people who work, you know, who work with us better at their jobs and and advance them in their career. Um, but that's really it. I mean, also, you know, I'm a Queens girl, so kind of like where I live and um, my entire like, you know, um, personality is very, you know, been informed by uh, all things Queens, which is, which is, which is great. I love it. <laughs> I love that. Uh, okay. Last question. Um, and for you, it's a two-parter. So what are some of your favorite books of all time? And this can be a book you read way back or last week. And then the, the second part is if you happen to have uh, an RBG book bio or whatever, I'd love to know that because I'd love to learn more about her based on this conversation. Sure. So um, there's a, I mean, if you haven't seen um, the movie about RBG, you should. Um, and it really just, it's just amazing. You just don't realize what she actually did in that time, um, to get to where she is today and all the things that she faced. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking in some instances, uh, of the discrimination that she faced as, as a woman. And she just wanted to be a lawyer and she was not allowed to be a lawyer. Mm. And, uh, so I think, you know, if you, if you watch that movie, um, be fantastic the books that I've read, um, I have a fiction that I love. Uh, it's called, uh, a fine balance. I read it now. I want to say almost, um, 20 years ago. It still just kind of sits with me as my favorite all time book. It takes place in India, um, in 1975, uh, the year I was born. It's fiction, but like when you read it, you think, wow, this is really heavy stuff. It's not, it's not a beach read, by the way. <laughs> not something that you kind of just kick back in the sand and and read that. Um, and I just think that if everybody in it's just really um it's a it's it's tragic. But I feel like if everybody in India read that book, Uh, I feel like India would be a better place because I think it just has so much empathy for the characters and what everyone there is going through. The second is a, uh, a, a business book. And I think it's, it's called getting to yes. I don't know if you've read that, but getting to yes is one of my uh, all time favorite kind of business books. It's such a quick read it. And I think it's, you know, obviously related to nine, but I read it years ago before I started nine and it is very much about like, how do you negotiate like a better way to negotiate? And I've used it on, you know, certainly at work, I've used it with my landlord. I've used it with my daughter. I mean, just understanding. And it, again, it comes, it goes back to empathy. I think empathy is the key to like, just understanding what people are really after. What do they want? 
Um, and how can you give them what they want and then also protect the relationship and get what you want as well. So Getting to Yes is a fantastic book for, um, for everybody. And I think the more people read it, the better, you know, it's not like, oh, this is something that I just want. It's like a secret weapon. The secret, it's actually like the more people that read it, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you recommend books to the women who sign up to be mentored? Um, I haven't, but I will. That's a great idea. I think getting to yes is something that I would absolutely recommend. And yeah, it's, in- it's interesting, even just getting someone, getting a woman to buy that book. It, it's, it, there's gotta be something that goes off that says, oh yeah, negotiating is something I should be doing. You know, you pointed out, you weren't even thinking you should be negotiating. Right. Um, so I wonder if that would, would even help. Uh, I'm reading a book now called, um, and it was a, it was based on that article that I told you about that I read that, you know, identifying the reluctance to negotiate as a reason, uh, a book called Women Don't Ask. Mm-hmm. Like the entire book is about why women don't ask. Yeah. So I've, you know, I'm, uh, I'm like a third of the way into that and, and reading that and understanding more about the psychology behind it. So which can hopefully help other women. Mm-hmm. Well, Bhavna, thank you so much for joining me. I, it was such a pleasure. I look forward to supporting your organization. I'm going to pass it on to my leadership team, which is five out of six are female. Um, and so I want them to take a look at this and see um, how they can help. But uh, thank you again for, for for being a part of 48 and 48. It really is going to be hugely impactful. So I'm, I'm glad our paths have crossed. Same. I, I'm, I'm really appreciative of you having me on here and being a part of 48 and 48 as well. Thank you. Hopefully I'll get up to Queens one day and we'll we'll have a coffee. (laughs) All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Wow. You made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com, and I really do appreciate you listening. 